Yep, Kevin's pulled me out of kids' ministry again and trusted me with the adults. Still not sure entirely what I'm doing with the adults. But if you'd like to turn today to Psalm 42, we will be looking at two Psalms today, Psalm 42 as well as Psalm 43. There is a reason why we're looking at both these psalms. It's because they are very closely linked together. In actual fact, some scholars do believe that they were once one psalm, and that at some point they've been separated. But whether they were originally one psalm or they are always been two separate psalms, they are so interlocked and raven together that I felt that I had to do both and that I couldn't just do one without the other. So we are going to look today at both Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And I hope that all of you are abundantly happy and blessed today because we'll be looking at some fun topics of sorrow, misery, distress, deep longing, and just a little bit of persecution chucked in as well. But if you are feeling slightly cast down, stick around for the end because hopefully there will be some encouragement for you at the end of Psalm 43. So the author, some scholars will also tell you that David wrote this psalm. But trouble with that is that in verse 6, because they say that it was when David fled from Jerusalem from uh, his son Absalom. But in verse 6, it says that the writer is way up north in the heights of top end of Israel, in the mountains up there. And David, when you read his account, he mainly stayed south, southwest of Jerusalem down here. So the writer is saying he's up here, David's down there. It's a bit hard to say that it was David who wrote this. And as well as that, when you look at the top of Psalm 42, it says, A contemplation of the sons of Korah, who I believe are descendants of Korath, who was a Levite around in time of Moses, who actually led a rebellion against Moses. So this is actually written by a descendant of someone who led a rebellion against Moses. In the wilderness. So, with that uh, background, let's read our Psalms. It says, As a deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went up with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls on to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? What do I go, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the truth, what we find in your word, Lord. And Lord, as we look at some of these tough topics, Lord, Lord, may we just see the truth as revealed through this passage, Lord, as we see the help that we can get from you and the joy that is found in you, Lord. So, Lord, we just pray my hearts be open to what you have to say, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as verse 1 starts off, as a deer pants for the water. So, once again, I had to turn to my good friend Google, and I actually Googled deer's panting, and I found this interesting paragraph. It says, during a drought... Deers get their daily water requirements from their food and metabolism. But unfortunately, droughts are followed by famine. So deers usually end up eating up dried food, and their need for water increases. They're also unable to wash off, their, as in wash off their scent to lose predators, or to cool down, so the deers are constantly panting. This is why during a drought, deer are on constant move. They travel all over the dry lands, to stray away from predators in search of food and in search of a water body. Where they can find a water body, they will rest for a couple of days to replenish from water, cool off, and most importantly, wash off. So basically, that paragraph tells me that there's three main reasons why a deer longs or pants for the water. One is to wash off their scent to protect themselves from enemies and predators. Two cooling down so they don't have to pant and free like us they need water to live to survive so just as that deer longs for the water to survive and will keep on searching for that body of water it won't stop until it finds that water and our psalmist as he witnessed that deer panting he realized that in the same way his soul has to be longing for god his soul was longing for God's protection and his soul was longing for God's provision. His soul needs God to survive, just like that deer needed water to survive. And why was his soul longing? What was his soul really, truly looking for? It was longing for the worship of God. In verse 2, it says, My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My soul first for the living God. See, the psalmist, he wasn't longing for the temple building. He wasn't longing for the altar to burn sacrifices on. He wasn't longing for the wash basin or any other articles there in the temple mount. He was longing for the living God. He was longing for communion 
with the living God, to be able to worship the living God and have fellowship with the living God. And for the Jews back then, that meant that if they wanted to have that communion and worship God, they had to go to the temple. That was the place of worship, that temple on God's holy hill, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But yet, as we read in verse 6, he is far, far away from that place. He was far away from the holy city. He longed to be able to go and worship God, but yet he felt as though because of his distance, he could not worship the God he longed to worship. His soul thirsts for God, but not just any God. Notice he lived, longed for the living God. So not a dumb God, but the one true living God. The question is, is what does our soul long for? There are many, many dumb gods out there, made by human hands, by relonging for the one true living God. Because at the end of the day, everyone's desiring to worship. Everyone's panting for a God, whether we realize it or not. And there are lots of destructive gods out there, sadly. Are we longing, panting for the one true living God? My soul first for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist knew that him and his brothers, they would come together at that temple mount, they'll perform their rituals, that meant that they had that appointed place where we could come and worship. Like us, we have a pointed place right here, right now. This is our pointed place where we come together communally and worship the living God. But yet, he was far away. Don't we get that sometimes? If we're away from our church family, maybe we're away for whatever reason, don't we have that longing desire to be once again back with our brothers and sisters in Christ, communally worshipping with the one true living God? But look at what this separation done to this poor man. The separation in verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night. Day and night, his food was his tears. There was no relief for this man's sorrow, distress. His tears were constant. Intense sorrow of extreme crying, where he could not stop that his crying became his food. And we too can experience some intense sorrow. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, or maybe some tragic event which has happened in our lives causes us just to continually grieve where we just struggle to get over that intense sorrow. The question is, is have we intensely sorrowed for our God? Have we intensely sorrowed for him? Did you notice in verse 1, 2, and 3? Verse 1, panting, breathing. In verse 2, first, drinking. In verse 3, food. What three things do we need to stay alive? We need air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat. And if we have not even one of those things, we will die. If you don't breathe, You'll die quickly. You don't drink, it may take a bit longer, but you will eventually die. And food may be even longer, but you will perish. We need all those three things. 
psalmist is linking the three essential human necessities to the longing of the one true God, saying that without these three things, this dear and myself will die. It means that without God, we will die. We'll be dead in our sins, dead to eternity. We need God as much as we need to breathe, to drink, and to eat. And for this poor psalmist, it got even worse. It says, my tears have been my food day and night because of the long distance between myself and the place of worship. But not only that, while they continue to say to me, where is your God? If it wasn't bad enough being far away from the temple, those around him were mocking him, persecuting him, saying, where is your God? They weren't just doing it on the old occasion, continually, continually mocking him. There was no relief from his crying, there was no relief from the mocking. Where is your God? Where is your God? Is that a phrase we hear sometimes? Where was your God when this tragic event happened in my family? Where was your God when the innocent died? Where was your God when this dot, dot, dot? Or more mockingly, where was your God in your time of persecution? Where was your God when stopping all these uh, anti-Christian policies coming through the government? Where was your God? Where is he? Is he asleep? Is he even real? He's real. And he's not sleeping. My God's been with me the whole time. He's been reigning sovereignly up in heaven. Not only that, but my God's right here in my heart. And which brings me on to a side note. For those who do experience that harsh sorrow, times of great tribulation and pain, there is no answer as to why God lets us go through those times. I wish I could, but all we know is that in those times, he still loves us. He loves us enough that he gave his only begotten son. And when you go through those times, that's all you need is his love. But did you notice that this tormenting rebuke in the psalmist was uh, given him? It was continually, continually mocking, continually persecuting him. And that happened to us in our walks, that persecution, that mocking. But remember what Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen. He said, if the world hates you, it hated me first. And what did Jesus say to Paul on the way to Damascus? He said, Paul, no, sorry, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Did he say that? No, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, just like the psalmist, whenever we're facing that mocking or persecution, it's not truly aimed at us. It's aimed at him. It's aimed at the Lord. And when we do do that, pray for that person's salvation because one day they're going to have to stand before God and give an account for that. And when we do face that persecution, sometimes we can fall into the same trap as what the psalmist had fallen in here in verse 4, where it says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude of a great pilgrimage. He was remembering the good old days when he would go to the temple. He was remembering the good old days when he would be with fellow devout believers. 
Christmas. Remember the good old days where you can praise and worship God freely there. He was remembering the good old days. But yet, a question popped into his mind. The question in verse 5. Why are you cast down? Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you crying out in great anguish, my soul? His hopes had been shattered. His enemies were vocal. And he was far, far away from being able to worship his God at the temple. But yet, he was wondering why his soul was cast down. He was wondering why his soul was crying out with a great cry, saying, Why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? And know that we've all experienced low times, times of great sorrow and distress, whether it be losing loved ones, losing your job, seeing marriages break down, seeing your parents' marriage break down, whatever it may be, we've all experienced those harsh times events in our lives like the psalmist where we feel like we've hit him rock bottom what's the answer when we do hit rock bottom verse 5 hope in God hope in God you may be thinking hour a second I've hit rock bottom life's a mess it's completely wrecked I've got a hope in God not any hope in God but say, for yet I shall praise him. Why? Simple answer. He is God. That is the answer. He is God. He is also always worthy of our worship. And isn't that the reason why we've been created in the first place? To worship, honor, and glorify the God of heaven and earth? Life can be beyond tough. It can feel like everything's going wrong, nothing's going right. But yet, God is still God. And God is still worthy of our praise and worship. Depends, is your outcome the same as Job? When he lost everything, what did he say when everything was taken from? Naked I shall come from my mother's room, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he actually says, blessed be the name of Yahweh. Using that precious, holy name of God. God is always worthy of our praises. It's as if the psalmist here is saying, God is still on the throne. His presence is always with me. He was distant from the house of God. There was never-ending mocking and sweet memories of the better days, but yet none of that was enough reason, good enough reason for a soul to be cast down. None of that was a good enough reason to continue on that despairness when he thought of the greatness of God. David Guzik said it this way, the psalmist knew to look for help in God's countenance, that is, the approving face of God. He found a better place by challenging his sense of gloom and seeking after God's face, his countenance. Amen. In verse 6, the psalmist goes on to say, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. 
Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon. So this is where we learn that he's far, far north because Mount Hermon is way above Galilee. But yet he's saying that his soul's cast down in distress and he's crowing out loudly. But yet here we notice he turns to God. He says, my God. He's going to the one and only place he could ever find the strength he needed from the living God. Verse 7, famous verse, many songs written with this. It says, deep calls on to deep had a noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. And most of us have seen large waterfall, especially on our favorite walk, what we do. And some of us have stood behind that waterfall. And if you stood behind the waterfall, you put your hand out behind it, and you can feel the power of that water pulling down on your hand. You know that if your hand goes any bit further in, surely the rest of you will be followed by the sheer power of that waterfall. And you know that if you get stuck at the bottom of a powerful waterfall, the waterfall will keep you at the bottom of it, tossing you round and round underneath it. It's quite a scary image to think, isn't it? Being stuck at the bottom of that waterfall, just being continued tossed around. But the psalmist doesn't say just about that. He says, the waves billows over me. So imagine being stuck at the bottom of the waterfall, being tossed around like a ragdoll, and then having waves crashing in over you, keeping you and dragging you further down underneath that water. This psalmist is in a deep, deep state of despair, deep, deep state of sorrow. He's saying, I hear the constant noise of the waterfalls and it never stops. I plunged down quickly and it was taken down deeply. I feel buried under this. I feel like I'm drowning. But did you notice one thing? What did the psalmist say? Deep calls on to deep out of the noise of whose waterfalls? Your waterfalls. He said, your waves. Your waves and billows have gone over me. So almost as if the psalmist recognizes that in the deepest depths of despair, that God is there with him. Even in our deepest depths of despair, there's still hope to be found in God. I'm in deep despair, deep trouble, but God is also there with me. As deep calls on to deep. The waves and billows are yours. He's measured. He's measured all this, and he knows the outcome. In his deep despair and discouragement and conflict and persecution, Samas realizes that looking to the old, good old days does nothing. Looking to God is where the real hope lies. Verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his son shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You know, it's a change here. What's he been saying so far? God God, 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 Elohim. What does he say here? Lord, Yahweh. He's finally looking, as Mark said that last week, upwards. He's finally looking upwards. And not only looking upwards, he's using his God's holy, precious name, Yahweh. And what does he say the Lord will do? 
It's saying the Lord will command. And when the Lord commands, rest assured, it will happen. Ezekiel 24:14 says, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and it shall come to pass. I will do it. Yahweh says he will command his love and kindness towards us. In those deep, dark depths of sorrow, depression, and sadness, God's love and kindness, he commands it towards us. It may feel like that God is far us, far away from us, maybe not even listening to us, but yeah, he's there with us. God's love and kindness is always with us. You may not know it's there, but it is there with us. Yahweh is always there. Yahweh's love and kindness is always with us because Yahweh's commanded it. And in times of deep despair and distress and trouble, we can have that confidence to say, God, you are my rock. As he says there in verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 9, if anything, it proves that this psalmist is a real human. <laughs> because in those confident times, we will have the confidence to say, God, you are my rock. But yet, as humans and the weakness of our flesh, we will say, why have you left me, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening, Lord? And you know what? To ask God why, it's not a sin. It's not a sin to ask God why when you're going through those dark, deep times. But you've got to have come to that realisation that God is there with you through it and he will get you through it because he commands his love and kindness towards us. Just as the psalmist cries out why, we can also cry out why. Not only that, but we can say in verse 10, as with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, that line again, where is your God? Where is your God? There's a guarantee on life on this earth that we are going to have persecution. There's a guarantee in life we are going to have sorrow. There's a guarantee in life we are going to have distress and trouble. But through race times, God sustain us. <laughs> Reminds me, of a bathroom poster, what some people have up. I say bathroom poster because that's the main place I always see it. <laughs> no, you too, I know what I'm talking about. It's that one where you've got those two set footprints going through the sand and where one of them disappears. And the caption is the person's turning to God saying, God, look at those footprints. Why is only one set right there? Thinking that's where God abandoned him. And God's like, ah, those are times when I carried you. You see, life can be beyond tough. Life can truly suck sometimes. No one seems to be listening. No one seems to be caring. All hope is gone. But yet, in those times, God is carrying you. And realistically, there's always only ever been one set of footprints. His. Verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you cast down? Life is trouble, life is difficult, but why are you cast down, my soul? Why? I'm in much despair, I'm crying out in pain, but yet isn't God worthy of my praise and worship? Even in my troubles? 
Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God. Vindicate me. Or judge me, God. Why does the psalmist feel the need to be vindicated and judged by God? It says there, vindicate me, O God. And plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. You see, the psalmist was being judged and contended by an ungodly nation, full of deceit and unjust. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. We, the church, are being judged continually by this world. We're being told that we are bigoted, outdated, homophobic, transphobic, you name it, phobic. We've been told that we are the evil that stands in the way of a harmonious society. But yet, church, who do we want to be judged by? Who do we want to be judged by? Do you want to be judged by the world or by God? Because to be judged by God, while letting God judge you and plead your cause and saying, find me faultless before you, is better than adhering to a world... Because if you adhere to the judgment of the world, you'll just stand in direct disobedience to God. Vindicate us, God. Plead our cause, because we truly are surrounded by our ungodly nation, full of deceit, full of lies. We need you, God, to plead our cause. For you are the God of my strength. But why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy sounds a familiar verse exact same as verse 9 I will say to God my rock why have you forgotten me why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy there's confidence in God being our strength and the conflict question of why is this happening to me is a cry of a committed Christian. It's a cry of someone who truly believes in God. They're saying, yes, God, you are my rock. But yet, I don't understand why this is happening to me. But in those times, when you don't understand why it's going on, why this all bad stuff's happening to you, Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on winds like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is our strength. Wait on him. Our strength is not our own. It's Yahweh's strength. Verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let your light and your truth lead me. Has God sent out his light and his truth? John 8 verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. John 14, 6, I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is that light. Jesus is that truth. His light, God's light and truth has truly gone out before him. And not only that, but Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And a path, sorry, there's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So his word is light. What about truth? Is God's word truth? Mm-hmm. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. You know the rest. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But it says that all scripture is given by God. And as Kevin recently read in Hebrews 6.18, by two mutual fins, it's impossible for God to lie. So therefore, if it's impossible for God to lie, and if all scripture is given by God, then surely of scripture, the whole canon of scripture is nothing but truth. So God sent out his light and his truth for his son, Jesus Christ. He sent out his word and his light, uh, his truth and his light to us through his holy word as well. And we need to let the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, to lead us, to guide us. As the psalmist says, O send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. It's almost as a psalmist is submitting himself onto God's light and truth. In the same way, we need to submit ourselves to God's light and truth. Submit ourselves to his son, Jesus Christ, and submit ourselves onto the word of God. See, in the deepest, darkest depths of despair, God's life and truth will lead you and will guide you. And it will lead you and guide you to one place, to the worship and praise of Yahweh. Verse 4, But now go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God my God. We have journeyed through sorrow, misery, distress, deep longing, and a little bit of persecution. We have travelled through the realisation that through it all, God is with us, and that he's commanded his love and kindness towards us. And now we arrive at our destination. We arrive at joy, praise, and worship. Reminds me of a song called the Desert Song. And it's quite famous. Some of you may know the background story to it. Basically, the writer of this song had a miscarriage. And then she was invited to lead worship at an event shortly after the miscarriage happened. And she turned down the invitation, citing, how can I lead worship? How can I? I just had a miscarriage. And then the Lord placed this on in her heart. And in the song, there's a verse that says, All my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. Even in that deepest, darkest moment, the writer realized that there was still a reason to worship God. And that reason is God himself. So I have a reason to have absolute joy because of who God is. Psalm 511. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love you by name be joyful in you. In John 16:22, Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. God is our exceeding joy. He is the reason we have joy. And without him, there is no joy. And that is why joy is so important. Because the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we end with that repeatable verse in verse 5. But this time, it's slightly different. This time, they're saying, Soul, 
when earth are you cast down? Soul, why are you shouting out in such despair? Seriously, soul, hope in God. (laughs) Praise God, soul, praise him. For the help of my countenance. The psalmist knew that his countenance needed some serious help. And he realized that God, Yahweh, was the only one to turn to and could help him. And the peace and joy that comes from trusting and praising God will help our face. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that in the deepest, darkest moments, that you are still God, that you are still the one we can turn to, and you are the one who we can find the strength in. So, Father, we pray that no matter what happens and what, no matter what this life can throw at us, may we just continue to have a heart of worship of you for who you are, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Father, we just praise you and glorify your holy name. For you are due all the praise and the glory because you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.